0: Are stretching them so thin on the economic level and you ask why that is, is it because they want everyone to afford the American dream, or is it because they want everyone to be of reliance on the government? Welcome back to another episode of To You with Taylor. In this episode, I'm going to discuss the topic of mortgages, home ownership, the government involvement with a brief history and some patterns and things that I see in the housing market and the real estate industry. As some of you know, I am a realtor and I'm just going to give you kind of the basis of what I'm seeing right now in the market to what has happened in the past. and reasons why I don't believe the government should be involved in the housing industry and the real estate market and why their involvement impacts has negative impacts to the consumers, whether that be home buyers or even renters. So that's kind of what we're going to dive into in this video. So I hope you stay tuned and listen and let's get into it. Okay, so As some of you know, I am a realtor. I work at Inspire Realty Group in Elgin, Illinois, and I've been doing this for a few years now. I also am an investor. I do own a multi-unit property where I live in one unit and I rent out the other. Highly recommend if you are interested in doing that. I did do a video called House Hacking and I explained how I went about doing that and how it has impacted me financially for the better in so many ways, as well as teaching me responsibility of becoming a homeowner and a landlord at just 23. So if you're interested, I have a video on that called House Hacking, so check it out. Um, So a brief history as far as the government being involved in mortgages and the real estate industry. So as many of you or some of you who may have been shopping for loans or have, are in the industry or own a home may have heard of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So they are like the second mortgage industry. So what they do is they purchase loans from banks. And what that causes, the banks then have money from the sale of purchase or selling it to Fannie Mae Freddie Mac to then loan that money out again. And when interest rates are really low, that's even in between banks, in between banks and the Federal Reserve, because they all loan money from each other, and then they loan it out to people and industries and companies. So when interest rates are low, it causes more lending in between them and lending in between the private market. And this is that our interest rates are really influenced by the Federal Reserve, who have a monopoly over our monetary system and really control They have such great power over our economy and apparently it has oversight by the treasury. Everything's really murky, not very transparent. They print as much money as they want. That's why we're trillions of dollars in debt. There's no way we'd be that far in debt if they just weren't able to print unlimited amount of money because and it also causes inflation when they print money because as you guys know, when resources become unlimited, they lose their value. When resources are limited, their value is based off the supply and demand of that resource. So a lot of times, let's say you got a bank or you got a loan through a bank, they will then sell your mortgage after you close to another bank or Freddie May and Fannie, um, to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and then they'll use those funds to then give out other loans. Um, And I'm sure some of you guys know, so there's interest on loans because that's how banks make their money. They give you money for a cost. So Fannie Mae was instituted in 1938 by Congress after, you know, during the great recession. And this is at this time Roosevelt was in office and as part of his new deal, they put together Fannie Mae where it was to stimulate the economy by allowing for more subprime loans and what i mean by subprime loans means riskier loans so a bank wouldn't if if it weren't for the incentives given by fannie Mae and freddie mac they would you wouldn't have qualified for those loans so how does fannie Mae and freddie mac do this what they do is let's say you and what they do for the loans that are They're supported by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. It's called an FHA loan. It's a Federal Housing Administration loan. So like I said, that was instituted under Roosevelt. What that did was allow people with maybe worse credit, um, not as much funds, higher debt to income ratio. And what that means is they take what your debt is, they compare that to what your income is and and they get a ratio number based off those numbers. And versus a standard conventional loan, FHA loans allow for a higher debt to income ratio, which means you make less money and you have higher debt. They'll also allow for those who have worse credit scores to be qualified for a loan under the FHA incentives and guidelines. And how do they do that? Well, like I said, so Fannie Fannie Mae was instituted in 1938 to try and stimulate the economy by helping people who obtain the American dream and have a house that they wouldn't regularly afford. So the government was helping you afford that loan. Same with, uh, so that actually started as a government institution. Then in 1954, it became public and private. And then in 1968, they allowed for private conventional loans to be facilitated through Fannie Mae Freddie Mac actually was instituted in 1970 and they started as I believe just government institutions. So both Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are under a GSE, which is a government sponsored enterprise. So they are regulated and very much controlled by government agencies and they are very much in control or have such impact on the housing market and the loan and the loan institutions and the loan industry. And so Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac allow for these individuals who wouldn't typically be qualified for a loan to get a loan because they they guarantee a portion of the loan to the lenders that are giving out the loans. Let me explain. Let's say you are obtaining a loan from lender X and it's an FHA loan, which means it's a Federal Housing Administration-backed loan, a portion of that loan is guaranteed by the federal government. Meaning, if the person defaults on their loan, part of that loan is guaranteed by the federal government, and they will then pay the bank for whatever portion is guaranteed, making it a less risky loan to the bank. So even though overall the qualifications of that individual are are subpar subprime that's why they're called subprime loans it's a less risky loan to the bank because part of the loan is guaranteed by the government hopefully that makes sense whereas when you have just a conventional loan or a loan not backed by the government the bank is fully responsible for that loan. So their qualification standards are higher because they wanna make sure that that person, that individual, doesn't default on their loan. Now, of course, there's no way to know for sure, um, but that's what banks usually do, a risk cost analysis. What is the cost and the risk and what is the benefit and the return on their end? The government being involved in allowing for riskier loans and incentivizing riskier loans, banks will then do it because it's not as risky for them. So why does why would I be against that? Why would, would I think it's bad for the bank to allow for riskier loans to be out? Well, part of it is even though they are guaranteeing part of the loan to these banks to incentivize, to stimulate the economy, it's almost of a false pretense. So they're protecting the bank if they default on their loan because they're incentivizing and advising them to give out riskier loans to people who otherwise would not qualify for that loan. But for you, you default on your loan? Sucks to suck. The government helped you. They got you the house. You couldn't really afford it. And that's how they play these games. So I see it all the time in the real estate industry these people are typically not always living a little bit more paycheck to paycheck and as a realtor i will say that i have seen many clients who are afforded these loans or qualified for these loans that in my opinion really can't afford these loans they need a credit to close because they don't have enough funds to pay for the down payment and the closing costs And if one of them were to no longer have, so like if the economy were to crash, these people are the first that will be affected and probably default on their loans. And what happens when you have an FHA loan, you pay a PMI. So you pay a mortgage premium insurance. And the reason you do that is to help mitigate some of the risk of the federal government guaranteeing that you're paying a price, a monthly fee to help pay back some of that guarantee to help alleviate some of the risk. As some of you may know, if you have mortgage payments, your mortgage payments really consist of four parts, typically if you have them all involved in your loan. You have your principal, which is the cost that your house is. You have the interest, which is what the bank is charging you to have that loan to purchase that property. You have your insurance for insurance on the property, and then you have taxes, the taxes of the property. So when you first start paying off your mortgage payment, it is, heavily, it is heavily interest. And the reason they do that is to help mitigate the risk. The bank is lending you money, so they wanna try and make a portion of that loan back as quickly as possible to mitigate the risk if you end up defaulting. And that's just a business strategy, makes sense in my in my, in, in my view. If I'm giving you money, I wanna make sure I make my money back as soon as possible. So as you start paying off that mortgage, Eventually it'll start leveling out where your interest and your principal is pretty evenly until you're paying more of your principal payment. So when the federal government is allowing for these FHA loans, they are, like I said, they're subprime loans and they typically have lower interest rates too. So my concern with that as well, now they're they're allowing people who stretch their debt to income. They also give them lower interest rates and that typically has people when they have lower interest rates, to purchase more expensive property because they're paying a smaller interest on their payment. So like I said, if they were to, if the economy were to crumble, they are typically the first ones to default on their loans because they have no reserves. They pushed out their spending as tightly as they could and they paid for a property that they otherwise wouldn't be able to afford. And that's, so the government's incentive is to afford, make housing affordable for everyone. What it also does is it makes property values go up. Why is that you may ask? Well, when you, when you open up the pool of amount of people who can afford loans, the demand grows higher. There's only a limited amount of supply. So when you have more people able to purchase houses, you have a greater demand, smaller supply, prices go up. So, they're selling it to you as if they're helping you and they're helping people afford the american dream because everyone wants to own and buy a house yet they really can't afford the house or they really are stretching them so thin on the economic level and you ask why that is, is it because they want everyone to afford the American dream or is it because they want everyone to be of reliance on the government? That these banks are reliant on the government to protect them as far as these loans go and the individuals are reliant on the government to afford these houses and to afford these loans and then in debt to the government because Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are the largest second purchasers of mortgage, the second mortgage industry. So they purchase majority of loans from these bank institutions. And so there, it's really blurry of a private public partnership in the real estate market. I mean, we are truly so intertwined between government and private enterprise. I You can't even draw a line in between. So having these people be relying on the government, but selling it to as them having the American dream. This is just a little bit of the data of what these loans support or incentivize two thirds. And this is from the Wall Street Journal Journal and Business Insider. Two thirds of all bad mortgages were bought by government agencies the affordable housing regulation issued by the Department of Housing otherwise known as HUD which requires them to buy mortgages made to home buyers who were at or below the medium income level again in giving loans to people who otherwise would not be able to support them this quota began in 1990 30% of loans were for those at or below the medium income in 2007 55% of loans were at or below the medium income. 25% of that 55% were low income buyers, so even beyond just that, they were probably receiving government benefits or funds. And this isn't to demonize those who receive government support, though I would add many people abuse the system and I'm sure you guys know people or have witnesses. Again, as a realtor, when I sometimes I have shown people properties and they have they receive government funding to help them afford their monthly payments. And I will go to these appointments and they have Coach bags and Michael Kors shoes, Nike shoes, the whole get up, the sweat outfit, the nice car, and they're receiving government funds on a monthly basis to pay for their housing. And what does that do then? Now they have a part of their rent paid for by the government. What initiative does that have to landlords? Well, portion of it is guaranteed from the government. So the government also mandates landlords have higher regulation and restrictions. And so all those costs are pushed onto the landlord and then they know that some of their maybe a percentage are, have to be, or are, by those receiving government funds, it heightens the cost of their rent. So every part of this industry that the government forces or incentivize or puts further regulation, that incentivizes the private industry to adjust their business plan accordingly. And Many people argue or a lot of people are like, why if I can afford, why why is housing so expensive? Why is everything so expensive? If I can, if I can rent a place, why can't I purchase a place? Well, part of the reason things are so expensive is because of the government regulation, whether that be to builders, whether that be to landlords, when the government Forces further regulation and I'm telling you, some of these regulations, I, I have a few I have a property myself. I work with many clients and my business partner and managing broker, he has many more properties than me, and we talk a lot and I get an insight into the situations and the, the complications that he has with the city. And the further regulations that they have and the cost, the higher taxes, the more building regulations, the constant inspections, the those costs because they cost money then get pushed down to the renters the purchasers it all all of it is then incorporated in the cost that the consumers then absorb for instance when you have places like california and san francisco where they have building regulations where they won't let people build anymore Well, supply and demand. You have a lot of supply of people or demand of people who want to live there and they won't let them come and um, build to support that demand, so there's less supply. Prices go up. There's more government regulation and what they can do and what they can build. Costs go up. And now, if you were to relate that to COVID instances, as many people who are in the industry would realize, the market is fucking insane. (laughs) There is no supply of housing because of COVID. It kind of, it it made sense at the beginning because everyone's like, what's going on? Am I going to have a job? So no one really wanted to list their house. Well, then the Federal Reserve who really control much of our monetary system and have a monopoly over the interest rates, dropped interest rates. Well, what did that do? That incentivizes people to want to shop for loans. Like interest rates were really low. Let's see if we can buy a house. So this influx of people wanted to purchase houses and the inventory of houses were really low. So you have small supply of houses and a large supply of buyers. What does that do? There's a quasi nice house, moderately prices even matter. I mean, the ho- the prices of houses are absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. So there's small supply of houses. So if there's a nice, moderately nice house, an influx of buyers go raises the price, you have multiple offers, you have people guaranteeing appraisal. So even if that property isn't worth that, they're guaranteeing appraisal. And then new houses that list are then comping their properties based off those, inf- those already inflated prices. So buying right now is just insanity. And part of that reason is because of, well, it actually for the most part it is because of government regulation, because they shut down the businesses and you know did all that. But I don't think some of these people who are realizing and they're purchasing these properties, some of which are listed 100 grand higher than they were listed in 2017. I know just in Illinois, and Illinois has been having a decrease in population, prices from just last year this time are up 27% to what they were just last year. That is not a healthy, sustainable amount of appreciation, especially for a community where their population is decreasing, where you have Florida and Texas and Tennessee, where their population is increasing. So when people are buying these heightened prices, most people don't live in their properties for that long. Maybe, I think the average is like six to eight years. Well, let's say you had to make up that appraised value and you put more money into it, or you're just paying that heightened price. When you go to sell your property, you have fees. And like I said, when you're paying your mortgage payment, the the first few years of your property is heavily interest. So you didn't even make a dent into your principal. So when you go to sell that property, that's probably not gonna be at the evaluation that it is today. You will be underwater. And so they're incentivizing, they're trying to stimulate this economy to have these people buy the properties by lowering interest rates, as well as lowering interest rates to have companies hopefully grow their, their incentive to do that is to hire more people and to grow their company. Well, if a correction does come, which one will, what comes up must go down. There it is healthy for an economy to have busts and booms. The reason they're so drastic is because of government intervention. So I don't I, I think you know, if economy starts to kind of dwindle a little bit, that's okay. But it ends up being so drastic because of such the government involvement and then propping up industries and propping up purchases. They do that to stimulate the economy, at least in the short run, that's their argument. Because it shows when the feds and all these banks start lending in between each other, well, it shows businesses and the society that the economy is doing well, people are spending money. But it could get a a false sense of the actual economy to businesses then growing and developing and trying to grow their company and maybe employ more people off the influx of borrowing. But, a correction in the market could cause that to slow down or cause a halt. Well, they just put all this money where they otherwise probably wouldn't have to then when a correction happens, they're over leveraged. And this also causes inflation. When interest rates usually go down, inflation goes up. So those who were responsible and saved their money, their money is now worth less. So all these things are very intertwined and they they have such impact and influence on one another. So when people are saying, regulate landlords, regulate builders, not knowing those regulations, those costs of the regulations, and some of them don't even make sense, are then just pushed down to the consumer. So then it's more expensive for all of us. And many of these people in the government forcing or promoting these regulations, never been a builder, never been a contractor, never been a landlord, never been a realtor. So we're looking to these people to solve all these problems and they're actually causing them. For example, when they have regulation, building regulation, well, depending on what that building regulation is, that buyer has to meet that code or that, that developer has to meet that code and it costs its additional cost. So the more regulation and the more codes they have to abide by, the higher cost it is to build it. The higher cost it is to build it, the higher cost it is to sell it or rent it. So if the cost of goods and development go up, the cost of it, of that asset or of that building to purchase, so all of this plays a role as you of a consumer. That house is now cost more because of the, the regulation and legislation passed from government. Same goes for, you know, the, there's, there's been a war on landlords. Mind you, the regulation and the further legislation of onto landlords is then just trickled down onto the renters. And I have a video with my managing broker, owner, and mentor, Chris Davis, and he is a realtor and he does a lot of investment properties and he'll kind of touch base on that and that the further the government is on coercing and mandating certain things and specifics be met or, and some things are just so silly, you guys wouldn't even... Think of it's not always like it has to be a livable space. It'll be like some sort of registration or some sort of higher taxes. If the, high, if the taxes go up, the property price is gonna go up because they are like the rent price because you have to help them make up for the cost because these developers and these investors and these landlords, they have to make a return on their money. Same with the banks. They have to make a return on their money. This is business the economy is run by business. And when the government influences and hinders business, it just makes things more expensive for the consumer. And I kind of want to end by, I hope this provided you guys some insight on why it's so important to not just look to the government to further regulate everything. I do understand there needs to be some sort of regulation. We wanna make sure buildings are built correctly and housing is safe. And. I don't know exactly the best way to do that. Obviously not on the federal level, state local, as local as possible, like maybe your county works with a few private industries that have to be certified and in order to sell or build, you have to have a certification from one of those private industries that are experts in construction, something like that. But it really should be on the most local level possible for one, because then if you don't like it, if it's too expensive or you don't agree with it, you can move. You have the freedom to move. Capitalism and l- small regulation give the people more freedom. So it really should be on the most local level possible. And then I just want to kind of discuss briefly before I wrap this episode up, the difference between renting and buying. Cause I see a lot of people make the argument, if I can rent a place for $1,300, why can't I buy a place? You are, A business decision for them it is a transaction regardless of course you know you're a person and you're an individual but they're lending their money they want to make sure that they'll make a return on that money so they are gonna look at your spending habits they are going to look at your debt to income and your savings as well as when you are a renter, you're not responsible for anything. You don't, if the water heater goes out, if the roof has to be replaced, that is all taken care of by your landlord or your association. That, those fee, those things happen and they happen more times than you would like for them to happen and usually in the worst times. So when you're renting, your landlord has the right to of course, make sure they think you're qualified to pay for the rent as well as you're living expensive, me as a landlord, I do have restrictions and qualifications that I make my renters meet in order for me to accept them as a a tenant. I wanna make sure that their risk as a tenant is something that I'm willing to absorb. So I do make that calculation, same with lenders and doing that. So if you don't meet their qualifications, then they're not going to lend or give you a property to purchase because it's such more of a, the responsibility of a homeowner versus a renter are very, very different. So just because you can afford a $1,300 a month for a rent doesn't mean you are going to be able to afford that for a property. Mind you, you have taxes, you have, of course you can have renter's insurance, but you have higher insurance for a property. Anything that goes wrong, it's in your incentive. If, if your city mandates a new regulation or something to be done, that is on the purchaser. So there are differences between renting and buying. Just because you can rent a place doesn't mean you can afford to buy a place. So keep that in mind when you're when you're talking about. Loans, purchasing a house, and when, for those of you who think the government should be involved in everything and that they're going to make housing more affordable, the caveat, the caveat is they make it more expensive. They are the root cause of inflation. They are the root cause for drastic increase in prices as far as products and property evaluations. Like I said, the property evaluation in Illinois, where I'm at, has gone up 27% since this time last year. Illinois has a decrease in population. But the reason for that is because, as I mentioned, the supply and the demand and the infiltration and the impact the government has had in the rules and regulations that they have demanded. So I hope this episode provided you with a little bit of clarification into the impact the government plays in really every industry of our life, but specifically for this video's purposes, the real estate and mortgage industry, and why I think the the government should get out of these industries, if anything, maybe the local level, but it is not, the federal government should not be funding your housing because when the economy crashes, those individuals are the first to lose their houses. And the banks are somewhat protected. Big banks and big companies love big government because they guarantee and back their losses. You, the individual, will lose your home. You may lose all your assets while the bank is bailed out. And that's why it is so important to take responsibility again for your spending and your spending habits to know what you can spend, what you should save. And so incentivizing people to have poor spending habits and for them to think that they can have poor credit and high debt to income where they're spending more than they should and they they don't make that much, but they're spending a lot, but they can still afford a house. It's incentivizing people to not be responsible with their money. And then if not consciously, subconsciously knowing that the government will help them or help them afford these privileges because you, they are privileges. So. That's my argument to you, and I hope this video provided you some clarification. Like I said, I do have a video on house hacking if you're interested in how I went about doing that, and hopefully that will give you a little bit of an insight into the real estate investment, as well as my video with my managing broker and mentor, Chris Davis. He's an investor, a realtor, an entrepreneur, and a business owner, so check him out. And I hope to see you guys again soon on Tea with Taylor and have a good day. Thanks for joining me. God bless.